0: Work's been crazy busy at the moment and I really appreciate being able to get out of the offices, lovely as they are at lunchtime.
1: This is Peter Leonard. He's Chief Executive of the Centre for Emotional Health.
0: And it's just a 10-minute walk to the sandwich shop across an industrial estate, but there are trees, there are grass verges, there's sunshine or there's rain, there's wind or there's not, and there's something about being out in that space that just uh, gives me a quick reset, which I really appreciate.
1: This is Emotionally Speaking, the podcast about emotional health and relationships.
0: Thanks for choosing to listen to this episode of Emotionally Speaking. In this series, I invite a guest to talk about a challenging moment in their life. We'll discuss the techniques they've employed to deal with their difficulties, and I'll ask them to add a coping mechanism to our emotional toolkit. And in turn, I hope that it might be something that can be useful for you as well. You know, every cup of tea you share with somebody... Is a cup of love. My guest today is a man of peace. He's passionate about activism and the environment. He was born in Rajasthan in northern India and left home aged nine to become a Jain monk. When he was 18, he ran away to study non-violence as a follower of Gandhian principles. Running and walking are core to who he is. In 1962, he set off on a walk from Gandhi's grave to the four nuclear capitals of the world, Moscow, London, Paris and Washington, as a way to protest against the atomic bomb. This pilgrimage for peace took him two and a half years. I'm thrilled to welcome to this podcast Satish Kumar. Satish, hello. My pleasure. It's so great to have you here. Satish. I know you've travelled quite a way to be at the studio today. Very grateful for that. Can you tell me where you've made your home and the kind of things that you get up to there? I made my home
1: in Devon. Beautiful. I used to live in London. And then I and my wife wanted to be closer to nature and, if possible, closer to this ocean. And so we thought that if we sell our house, that will give us enough money to buy a nice garden. So now I'm living in Devon, two acres of garden and not far from the Atlantic coast. And so I've been living there for the last
0: 40 years. Beautiful. I I share with you a love of being close to the sea as well. Uh, There's something about the sea which I think water is healing, isn't it? I think absolutely. yeah, Yeah. Yeah, water is
1: healing, but also water is a great teacher for me. I learn from water. Water quenches thirst of every living being, whoever you are. You might be a king or a beggar. You might be a saint or a sinner. You might be human, animal, plant, whoever you are. Water will quench your thirst. So I want to be like water and I want to quench the thirst of everyone who is seeking
0: love. That would be my aim in life. Wow, that's amazing. I love that we're right at the beginning of the podcast and you've already dropped something as profound as that. That's amazing. I totally, totally echo that. What, what, so what other kind of things do you do, you do with your time down in Devon? I love walking. And so that's uh, one good thing. I walk along
1: the coast, the Atlantic coast, which is very beautiful. I do gardening. I have an orchard, 15 apple trees. So I make a lot of apple juice in the autumn and last year, I made 200 bottles of apple juice. Wow. So that will last me more or less a whole year. And so I do lots
0: of things. Mm. And uh, and I enjoy life. Good. That's wonderful. You you mentioned walking. So I wonder if I can dive into your 1962 Pilgrimage for Peace. That was a really impressive undertaking. You spent two and a half years walking around the world. Can you tell us what the purpose of that, that journey was? Yes. I was inspired by Bertrand Russell at age ninety.
1: he was protesting against the nuclear weapons, and he was put in jail for his nonviolent direct action and So when I read that news in India, I said to my friend who was with me at that time that "Look at this news: A man of ninety going to jail for peace in the world." Mm. What are we doing, young men, sitting here drinking coffee? So we decided what to do. And so one idea we came up with, which was a wonderful idea, that let's walk to these four nuclear capitals of the world and walk from New Delhi, from the grave of Mahatma Gandhi, to Moscow, Paris, London, Washington. So that was the kind of idea. Then we decided that wars begin in fear. And peace begins in trust. How do we show that we trust ourselves, we trust other people, and we trust nature? So let's go without any money in our pockets. We have no money. We have to depend on our trust and trust of strangers, trust of religion or religious people whose religion we don't share. So trust in our heart. We left all money behind and walked for two and a half years without a single penny in our pocket. And we were looked after by the strangers in Muslim countries, Christian countries, communist countries, capitalist countries, in the deserts, in the mountains, every kind of topography. We said to ourselves, if we go as Indians, we meet Pakistanis. If we go as Hindus, we meet Muslims or Christians. But if we go as a human being, we meet human beings everywhere. So trust in our heart, we went around the world for two and a half years through 15 countries, 8,000 miles. It was hard, but that was the richest and the most exhilarating and most inspiring
0: experience that I had of two and a half years of walking. That is incredible. And I, I'm guessing that during those two and a half years, it must have been tough at times. It was tough. Sometimes it was lonely. Yes. Sometimes anxious time. Yep.
1: Will I get any food tonight? Will I have any bed tonight? Will somebody kill me? <laughs> I'm going to strange countries. and They don't know me. So there were moments of anxiety. There were moments of uncertainty. There were moments of loneliness. All those things are natural. And we all human beings go through that difficulty. Mm. So one must not think that I'm the only person who is lonely or anxious or even depressed. There's kind of, quite a lot of people suffer from that kind of uh, situation. But what I thought is that when I was anxious, I looked at the forests, I looked at the birds, I looked at the mountains. They are always here and the rivers are always flowing. So you can take refuge in nature and you can take refuge in even among humans somebody will be there who can console you who can kind of give some sympathy to you understand you so always i was looking for some person or some nature to resolve or console my loneliness and my fear and my anxiety
0: So we, we very much, you know, we're, we're an organization, uh, the Centre for Emotional Health, which focuses on emotional health and the, the relational nature of that. So there's something about relationship, which yeah. is really important here, yeah. not just with other human beings, although that obviously is fundamental, but also with nature itself yes, and, and, and with yourself, actually, yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. In, in no, the
1: relationships are at three levels. First of all, you have to relate to yourself and you have to start to love yourself. Because if you don't love yourself, how are you going to love somebody else? So I will always start in my life, I have always started to accept myself who I am. And accepting yourself and loving yourself is not ego. It's not selfish. I am who I am. And I'm a unique person. Uh, There's nobody else like me in the whole world. So I have to accept who I am. Basic things, I have everything. I don't need to go to Marks and Spencer to buy imagination. (laughs) I don't have to go to Asda to buy uh, courage. I have all in me. I have to cultivate them, accept them. So that's accepting yourself. Is the first step for me. Then, of course, the moment you accept yourself, you start to love others as well. You cannot expect other person to be perfect. Other people are as uh, vulnerable as I am. So your own qualities you can project on others. And that way, as you love yourself with warts and all, you can love others as warts and all. And then the third level of love is nature. It's not perfect. Sometimes you get snow, sometimes you get uh, heat, sometimes you get very cold, sometimes very windy. Nature is like humans. We are all nature. So if we can love ourselves and love other people and love nature for what they are and what it is, then we can accept the world with warts and all. So by accepting our negative and,
0: and our kind of weaknesses, we become strong. Our hope with this podcast is that people listening will hear things that will resonate with them and I know they will with this episode, and be able to think, okay, that's something I can work on. And I'm um, the you know, this idea of accepting yourself and loving yourself and how that then helps you love others and and love nature and, and see it as a whole is a really powerful tool that can go in our emotional toolkit. Yeah. And, and and not always easy, but I think a good thing to be to be aiming for.
1: Yes, absolutely. You are right. Just say I am who I am, and then through that growth so, cultivate your compassion, cultivate your love, cultivate your imagination, and learn some skills, learn to go out in nature, learn to plant some seeds, or learn to sing. You can cultivate your qualities, but accept yourself as you are and don't expect yourself to be. Perfect or very successful. Why I am not as good as somebody else? Don't compare yourself with somebody else. Yeah. That's how I deal with my anxiety
0: and my uh, problems. Brilliant, absolutely. I would say wise words there. Um, on the subject of, of, of people surprising you, I wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing with us the story about the the tea workers outside the the tea factory in Moscow. Yes,
1: yes. You know, I was walking for peace. And as I was walking through Afghanistan, Iran, uh, Azerbaijan, Armenia, I came to Georgia by the Black Sea. And I was distributing a leaflet about my walk. And I was saying in the leaflet the why I'm walking, why I have no money, and, and why I trust people and strangers. I gave this leaflet to two young ladies who were standing in the sun in front of a tea factory in Georgia. When they read the leaflet, they said, you have walked all the way from India without money? We said, yes. How do you eat? She asked. And I said to her that people give us food. So she thought for a minute and said, are you hungry now? Can I give you some food? So I said, yes, yes. Anytime is tea time. (laughs) So so I will be delighted to have your uh, um, hospitality. So we went in. And we sat down and she brought tea, she brought some bread, she brought some butter, some jam. Then suddenly she had a brainwave and she got up and went out of the room. She came back with four packets of tea and said, these four packets of tea are not for you. She said, I would like you to deliver one packet of peace tea to our premier in the Kremlin. The second packet of peace tea to the President of France in Palais-Élysées, the third packet of tea to the Prime Minister of 10 Downing Street, and the fourth packet of tea to the President of the United States of America in the White House. And please give them a message from me, that if you ever get a mad thought of pressing the nuclear button, please stop for a moment and have a fresh cup of tea. <laughs> that is wonderful. And that will give you a moment to think that your nuclear weapons will not only kill your enemies, but they will kill every man, woman, child, animals, forests, the lakes, everything will be destroyed and contaminated. So please don't use the, the nuclear bomb. I was so surprised to hear this ordinary woman speaking such extraordinary words. I was so inspired. I said to my friend that now we have a mission. And the mission is to deliver the packets of PC to the Kremlin, to Palais Elyse, to 10 Downing Street and to the White House.
0: And that was a great, great mission for us. That's amazing. I'm, I'm wondering whether there's something profound in there that, that we need to hear about in the heat of the moment when we might want to press our nuclear button, whatever that might be, shout at someone, get angry. There might, you know, just stop and have a a cup of peace tea. That's right. There's something. About... You know, every cup of tea you
1: share with somebody is a cup of love. Because whenever you want to have some nice conversation with somebody, say, come and have a cup of tea. And that was my message and the message of this lady to these peace leaders that whatever problem you have, difference of opinion you have, there'll be always different views. So sit down together, find a common ground, common humanity, and that will get a cup of peace in a peace tea.
0: Lovely. Satish, I ask every guest on Emotionally Speaking the same question. And that is, what does the phrase emotional health mean to you?
1: I mean, emotional health, like physical health, we sometimes get headache, sometimes cold, sometimes tummy ache. Some problem always come with us. So like for physical health, when you get illness, you take a little sleep or you take a bit of medicine or you take some kind of right food or do something for your physical health. Or you go and see a doctor or you see a nurse or you see somebody's advice. In the same way, when I have emotional health problems, I seek somebody's advice. I can go to a psychotherapist, I can go to a priest, I can go to some good friend who is a wise old person. Then I can also, in my personal case, I always go into nature. And even if you are living in the cities, inner cities, where there's not much nature, if you pay attention, you can find some trees or some birds or some animals. So I would say always find refuge in nature, but also Do not be shy to ask somebody's advice. Do not feel that why should I be emotionally upset or emotionally uh, unwell. I'm now 87 years old, and I have gone through many ups and downs, many anxious moments, many kind of loneliness, my advice is don't feel like you are the only victim of this emotional health and nobody else. Why am I suffering? We all suffer mm-hmm. and we can all find some refuge, some medicine,
0: some uh, answer if we seek it. And, and it, you know, it's that idea of taking it as seriously as you take your physical health. I think that's really important. Our offices are in Oxford. And when you talk about Oxford, everyone thinks dreaming spires. But actually, we're on an industrial estate on the edge. And my particular uh, nature thought at the moment is there's a, there's a solid piece of tarmac yeah. And in the middle of this solid piece of tarmac a flower has come up. It's yes, a dandelion. Yes. Yes. And I'm really struck by how that bit yeah. of nature yes, has yes. somehow burst through yeah, yeah. this, this yeah, yes, solid yeah. tarmac. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Very, I notice I mean, it every time. I mean one
1: always has to take a kind of miracle of nature. Yeah. The magic of nature. Yeah. And and you see how these plants are resilient and strong and come out of tarmac and out of all sort of places if nature is our teacher, we can learn resilience from nature. And even in tarmac, if a plant can grow, even in a big city and an inner city, we can still grow and be human and
0: love each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want want to move on a bit to a, a kind of resilience now. I know that you are keen to talk about loneliness today. And I think that's something that's going to resonate with a lot of people listening. I wonder if you can tell me about the time that you're emotional health and your emotional resilience was tested in relation to loneliness.
1: I mean, one of the biggest change in my life happened when I was 18 years old. And I was a monk, and I realized that I don't want to be a monk. And uh, a Jain monk takes the vow for whole life. Once you become a monk, you are a monk for whole life, forever. Forever. Now leaving the monkhood was a big challenge, emotional health problem and and a mental health problem. I didn't want to remain a monk, but how do I leave? And I knew that my guru, my teacher will be upset, my mother will be upset, whole community will be upset. So that was a kind of very critical time for me. But I, one night after midnight, I ran away and I escaped from the monastic order. And I went to my mother, and she would not even give me a glass of water. She said, you cannot come out to the monastery. You cannot come home. There's no refuge at home. Go back and ask and forgiveness of your guru, your teacher, and become a monk again. I said, no way. I can't go back. So I was lonely. I knew nobody. I had no money. It was a big problem. But somehow, I found a community, a Gandhian ashram. And I lived in that community, and I went to the garden, and I learned to garden. I learned to cook. I learned to spin a spinning wheel. I learned a few practical skills. So through that very critical time, very kind of emotionally upsetting, my mother refusing me to give a glass of water. Can you imagine how difficult that moment would be? And I'm a penniless and homeless and 18-year-old. And my mother did not speak with me for nearly 10 years. Gosh. And so when I went back after walking around the world for two and a half years, I went back in Varanasi and I was staying in a place and one day somebody knocks at my door and I open the door and my mother is standing there without any notice, without any letter, without any telephone call. She's just there. And first thing she says to me is, I have come to see you and forgive you. After 10 years, now I'm 28, after coming, walking around the world for peace, my mother came to make peace with me. That was a quite emotionally and psychologically a very trying moment. My mother comes to see me and forgive me. That reunion with my mother. That would, I would say, one one of the most difficult moments. But I was so happy. I was in tears. I cried. My mother has come to forgive me. So that was, I think, a a wonderful experience of very low... and, and, And can you imagine... Being rejected by your mother, whom I loved. She was a wonderful woman. She was a great singer, great storyteller. She brought me up, her loving spirituality, loving singing, music, everything she gave me. And she rejected me. That was one of the most emotionally trying uh, period of my life, 10
0: years You'd, be, you'd become a Jain monk at age nine, I think, hadn't you? Age nine. So, so nine years as in, in the monastery and then recognizing that this was not the right place for you. Yeah. And, and then having to go and take that leap in the dark and find your new community, your new place. Yeah. Uh, some of our listeners may not know what the Jain religion is. Can you just tell us briefly what, what is Jain, the Jain religion? There are
1: four great religions of India, which you can call indigenous religions. Hindu, Buddhist, Jain and Sikh. These are the four religions. Now, Jain religion particularly emphasizes on the principle of non-violence and love. So do no harm. This is the supreme principle. Do no harm to yourself. Do no harm to other people. And do no harm to nature. As long as you do no harm, then you can do what you like. You can believe what you like. You can act the way you like. There's no other prohibition. There's no other restriction. Only restriction and prohibition is do no harm. Commit no violence. Beautiful life, but limited within your means. So that you have time. Time is liberated. You don't have to work um, nine to five, five days a week, six days a week, and then you are recovering over the weekend. You have a time, uh, if you have less money, less possessions, you have more time for poetry, for music, for gardening, for walking, for friendship, for family, for
0: having tea with your friends. I love that, I love that idea of elegance and simplicity. Satish, I'm thinking about what I'm gonna put in my emotional toolkit, having had this conversation with you. and I, There's very much nature in, in spades is going in my toolkit and, and being mindful of nature wherever I am. Yes. And, and I'm, I'm really thinking of that dandelion yeah. in the tarmac in my head at the moment. Yeah. yeah, I'm putting in that acceptance and love of myself, that relationship with myself and others, and nature and seeing as a whole thing, yeah. not individual and separate out. I'm going to put that in. And I, I'm also going to put in something about Finding the right community, finding those people that that resonate with me and and help me to flourish and and be the person. That is very important. Always find a
1: little community of people with whom you can be friends and they can support you. You can be a yoga group, you can be a meditation group, you can be a singing group, a choir or people who like the walking, ramblers or something like that. If you have a group of people working around you, join a group. And that will give you a good support for your emotional health, for your mental health, and also your physical health. Physical health and mental health and emotional health are all interconnected.
0: Absolutely. So finding a group, I think you made a good point, yeah. is very important yeah. for me. And do you know what else I'm going to put in? And I'm never going to look at one of these in the same way again. A cup of tea. Yes. Absolutely going to put a cup of tea in. Yes. yes. satish it's been an absolute joy talking to you you've unpacked some really profound stuff but you've enabled us to to find some very practical things we can do as well to to access those kind of profound ways of improving and developing our emotional health thank you for being my with us. pleasure thank, thank you for having your time. me it's been a real joy talking to you thank you for having me it was a pleasure to speak with you I've really, really enjoyed chatting to Satish today. I'm, I'm really struck that, you know, he comes from a very spiritual place and he's had 87 years to develop that spirituality. But for a lot of people, that's not something that, that resonates with them or that they particularly buy into. But I was struck by the strategies that we've put into our toolkit are things that, that are, are actually quite practical. Uh, a lot of the groups that we run with parents and carers, we often have people coming along who are, are very lonely, It takes a lot of bravery to join one of our nurturing programme groups, but when they do, they find that that's a hugely supportive place for them. And so although it can take some bravery to do it, I would encourage everyone to just look for your group, look for your tribe.
1: Emotionally Speaking is presented by Peter Leonard. Peter is the Chief Executive of the Centre for Emotional Health, and you can find out about their work and training courses by visiting their current website familylinks.org.uk
0: I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Emotionally Speaking. I'm really looking forward to sharing more stories with you from guests like the writer Virginia Ironside and the conductor Ben Jernan. They'll be adding their own tips and techniques to our emotional toolkit for the times when you feel your emotional health is being tested.
1: Emotionally Speaking is produced by Freya Hellier and Alexandra Quinn and is brought to you by the team at Loftus Media.